Hello, Stephen Dan Fouts here. We're veteran educators who've created the Teach Different podcast to inspire all of us to think deeper, listen with more intention, and understand each other better. On this podcast, we model a conversation method using claims, counterclaims, essential questions, and quotes from some of the world's great thinkers. This method works with adults and students of all ages, at school or at home, and is implemented using Google Forms. So if you're a teacher, parent, administrator, social emotional learning specialist, or anybody who wants to think in new ways and help others do the same, then you've come to the right place. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Teach Different podcast this week. We are uh, really excited to have a a different author of a quote. I can't believe we haven't had Plato before. Well, that that run ends tonight because uh, we're going to have a, a quote from Plato. It's a quote, actually, that's attributed to other people, but Plato is, is one of the ones who who um, gets the attribution more than anyone else. We will get into the Plato quote. It's about power in a minute here, but to familiarize everybody who might not be familiar with the teach different method, we're gonna start with that quote and then we're gonna work through the claim of of the quote, interpret it in ways in which we understand. And then just when we start agreeing with it, we've gotta teach kids to think, right? And, and look at another way of processing the quotation, the counterclaim. This is where the tension of the conversation comes in. And one thing about this method that's really important for people to understand is if you, if you don't have a tension in, the con- in, in what you're talking about, you don't have a conversation. You just have people just giving opinions and there's no- nothing to resolve. So that's what the, the counterclaim is all about. We'll end it with an essential question and give you something to think about and, and move forward. We are really uh, fortunate tonight to have a guest with us, Andrew Swan, who's a middle school teacher from Massachusetts. Andrew, I'll let you just introduce yourself a little bit and, and welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Dan. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, yeah, this month, actually a couple days, I'll be starting my 22nd year of teaching, which is weird to think of, uh, all in middle school. I'm in a suburban uh, suburb of Boston. I've uh, been at the same school for 17, I guess this is year 18. Uh, did ELA, but I've been social studies. And recently, social studies changed it eighth grade, where I am now. Uh, eighth grade is a full year civics course. So that's where we live. Um, and uh, I do SS chat uh, on Twitter as well. Um, some stuff with iCivics Ed Network, Civics 101 podcast in my sort of spare time. Uh, and uh, Yeah, again, really happy to be here. Outstanding, and and I've I've worked with you, Andrew, to organize some Twitter chats as well. So I mean, it's 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 always a pleasure working with you and seeing you at NCSS conferences when they're live, right? We haven't had that, and it was just it just went virtual, as you know, uh, last week. So sad but true, but that's a reality. But we'll we'll deal. We'll deal. Well, here we go. Here's the Plato quote, and then we're off. The measure of a man is what he does with power. The measure of a man is what he does with power. Andrew, throw it in the mix here. Okay, uh, so we'll just take a man first, just gender neutral, measure of a purse, right? Like we're just talking about like 
like people. So when I, th I thought of this, um, I mean, we'll certainly, I think we'll be talking a lot about power, but I don't know how you uh, read into this, but to me, measure seems to be an external judgment. So it's, it's how we should judge a person from what we know them, uh, we are from the outside rather than like one measuring oneself internally. That's how I'm taking it, but we'll, we'll see where that, that kind of goes. Um, is what they do with, with power. So we're judging someone based on what they do when they're in a powerful or have some kind of power to be able to use. Um, I mean, I thought about like different kinds of power, like that could be physical strength, maybe is like where our brain goes first, like being able to like do something like, you know, force, forcefully. Um, that could be like a weightlifter, right? Like, you know, what they can do with that kind of power or military power. Um, I also thought of like screaming four-year-old, like measure of like a kid is, you know, like what they could do with kids have power, little kids have power. Um, I also thought about like, you know, sort of emotional power, like interpersonal kind of like leverage, you know, like the, the holding the keys, either literally or figuratively, um, you know, what someone does when they have that kind of emotional power over somebody, are they like, so, um, and the other one I just want to throw out there is like, like power, something I've been thinking about, like for my students with uh, my civics class is like power and authority sometimes get conflated, but I think it's worthwhile to see them as like separate. So it's a measure of like this Plato's talking about power, not authority. So like the screaming kid who has power, doesn't have legal authority. And in like a family, like the, the little kid's not supposed to be in charge, but they have power. Um, so what does someone do with so authority being like something like sanctioned, you know, like legalized or or recognized in some way, you know, some sort of social contract. But power, I think, is separate from that. Again, it can be physical, it can be emotional. And so really what uh, Plato is telling us to do is look at like how someone does with like any of those kinds of power, um, how we should be judging them. And, and he said, like, ignore everything else, just focus on how they deal with power. So that's my little two, two and a half minute bit. I like it. The thing I would add would be the the idea of power, meaning, you know, you have the capability of executing something without consequence. You, you have the ability to do something or not do it. There is nothing that would stop you with the exception of your own conscience the your own decision to not do something or to do it that's how i kind of understood power and that's where i thought plato was leading with this quote uh dan i don't know if you have a good way to say the claim quickly i'm talking a lot here how would you say the claim well i'm thinking of the word power as you were just describing that and i think I think we're, we're you both of you are, are right in that there's something about having power. It's almost like agency. You can do one thing or you can do another thing and you have to make a moral choice. And I feel like, you know, the measure of a man or the measure of a person is the choices he or she makes with that power. And I think it's an ethical. I don't know. My mind went to moral ethical what's right and what's wrong once you have the power to do something so my interpretation then i'm walking myself into this is it's this external judgment onto somebody 
a moral judgment on what they do when they have the freedom to execute power in some way. Yeah, I was trying to think about like how my students would would take this, my, my eighth grade, especially I think this is like one of those important things, like all caps terms you got to kind of start with or at least touching upon. And, I, and it's one I think I've sort of gone around by let's talk about leadership. Uh, for example, let's talk like independence, you know, all those like other important things as well. So I, I think students would would jump. They wouldn't. I don't think they would think the, the four year old like screamer um, example. They would probably jump to things like, you know, presidents, right? Kings, emp emperors, like what they do, which maybe is like a useful sort of wheelhouse to to focus on. Um, so, you know, I, I guess like one example, you know, my is like, you know, was you know, should Harry, should the president, you know, Truman have like, like dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, for example, like, you know, are, are we going to judge him based on like that sort of power, um, which I guess to go to your point, Steve, right? Like there was no consequence for Truman, like wasn't expecting like retaliation, but there are still consequences. I mean, decisions aren't going to be made in a vacuum. Um, but what does one do when they have sort of that, that kind of power? They know it will be purely indirect or or they're talking more sort of legacy. Um, and of course, that's a thing that we still debate today, 60 something years, 70 years later. That's good, yeah. And I see a lot of applicability to different curriculum, right? The idea, the exertion of power is, talk about a common theme, right? I like the idea of helping the kids recognize that they have power of of sorts they, they do have power and a lot of the kids know it they might not call it power but they have influence over other students and so if, if somehow the discussion could help reveal that for them then you got them i think because then you can ask well what's the 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 proper expression of that power once you have it how would you want to be judged so really make this personal for, for them. I'm, I'm thinking maybe in an athletic situation, has anyone ever been in a leadership position on a team? What have you done with that power? D did you use it for the benefit of your team or did you use it selfishly? And why? Why did you choose one way or the other? What do you think of that, Andrew? Just putting those kind of scenarios out there. I, I feel like I've tried that. This is my, this will be my fourth year of this. But even when I was teaching us history, I mean, we'd come to these, these concepts all the time. And as I'm remembering it, those discussions not quite fall flat, but like 13, 14 year olds have just had so few opportunities personally that I've found it's a bit better to like come at from the side of like, look like role models, like how to parents, how to like school, like, um, Again, in my school, we're about to have a new principal for the first time in my whole time there. And I'm actually going to use that as a bit of a lens um, of, of looking at, at leadership. So, yeah, I just think, I mean, and I don't say this often, but in this, I, I think they, they are too young to really be able, or they did that like that one time and they don't even know if they did a good job or not. How, how would they know? I mean, they didn't get an exit interview as being like if they were captain on a, on a team. But um, again, so you're saying they would be better at judging other people who have power over them. That makes sense. Coaches, teachers, parents. I think so. I think so. Um, 
Uh, Steve, actually, I want to go back to like your point because I hadn't thought about it this way before, and maybe this is sort of like like um, there's a little sort of experiment I've done based on um, the the cookie game. The um, I'm blanking on the the brilliant, uh, beautiful mind uh, mathematician game theory um, expert. Anyway, so someone else sort of took this in like another kind of direction. So basically, what I do one of the earliest classes, and I give everyone like a coin, pair them up, and we do this little like version of the uh, the cookies. Uh, sort of experiment. So they each have something in their hand, and then on the count of one, two, three, they show they either have it or they don't, and they they tally up the points. So basically, if I put out that I have a coin and you don't, you get to take my coin. You get to take my points. If we both cheated, if we both like put out our hand with like zero, then we get like a um, a, a zero. Um, if I put out none and you did put one out, then I get to take it, so I get advantage. And basically, it's it's rigged. Um, so that the more, the more you cheat, the more you win, basically, and eventually kids like sort of figure it out. And I, I, I call it like the, the trust game, but in a way it is like a little thing of like power, like, Ooh, what am I going to do with this? I mean, it's so binary, really. What am I going to do with this one thing and be able to, but you're also sort of reading from the other person. Are they keep giving it to me or are they not going to? So if we both put out our thing, we get, we each get one point. If we both put out nothing, we get zero points. So it's like a sort of a. So there's there's some incentive to like put it out there, but if I put it out and you don't, then you get my three points. Um, Interesting. How, I'd love to see a write up of that. Uh, it it sounds like a, a really good game, a mind game, really, right? And both kids have agency with it. And th this quote is, I'm going to say difficult. I'm going to say it's loaded. This quote does need some unpacking. I would say at the beginning. You know, because Andrew, we always try to have the kids, if you can, you know, rewrite the quote as a claim in their own words. And this this is a, a in-depth quote. There's a lot going on here. Do we want to try to do that right now? How would we say what the claim is in our own words? The value of a person is what they do when they're in charge. Or how they act when they're in charge. Maybe that's even better. Good. How they act. Good. The value of a person is how they act when they're in charge. That is great. That's fantastic. So, Andrew, here's the fun part of Teach Different. The minute we figure a claim like that out, you guys help remind me. We get to negate it now. Time to break it. All right. We're going to break that beautiful building that you just created i got a counterclaim the value of a person is shown by how they go through hardship which is obviously not the same as being in charge it is about going through experiences where they are tested in some way and they show more endurance or perseverance. I think that that is equally reasonable. <laughs> we can relate to being having hardship more than we can to being in charge sometimes, like the, the, the common everyday folks like us, right? And I believe we, we also judge people usually favorably who are able to endure suffering 
we, we look up to them. We, we venerate them. You know, you think of just the civil rights leaders and, and what many of, of those leaders had to endure in their quest for justice. And we, we clearly look at that and, and, and value that in a way that is, that is pretty profound. That, I guess that's what made me think of that example. Just to throw a counterclaim too, uh, like the, the true, like the real, like measure or value of a person is how they act, like how they respond to power and to rules. How do they follow? You know, not how are they leaders, but how are they followers? How do they cooperate? Um, Interesting. Which maybe sort of overlaps with your statement, like in or whether in hardship or not. Um, and maybe something a bit more. You know, it's it's that like, what do we do when no one's looking? <laughs> Um, did you say how, how you were a follower? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Judging I love someone it. like based on how they follow, like how they, how they follow others, how they cooperate with others. Um, in contrast to, you know, uh, Plato's there of how someone leads or is dealing when people are in charge. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that Andrew, cause just today I got, I have a problem student. Okay. He loves to commandeer discussions. And he wants to talk about what he wants to talk about, not what anyone else wants to talk about. So I approached him after class today and I said, you're going to join me and lead the discussion on Thursday. I, you're going to be sitting right next to me and we, you and me, are going to lead it. Hmm. And in the back of my mind, here's my plan. <laughs> when he leads it, then after that, hopefully that experience will go well then I'm hoping he'll be a better follower mm -hmm. because he will have had that experience of being in charge. And now it's time to go to the other side. And that's a, that's a measure of a person. So you actually, I can't believe you mentioned that because that <laughs> actually fits very well into my experiment, so to speak. Well, and actually you said like, you hope it does go, if it doesn't go well, that will also still prove your point. Like leadering is hard. Hey, have some sympathy for, for my situation every darn day with you guys. Fair enough. <laughs> I think another question you could ask the students maybe is ask them who they respect, who they mm -hmm. look up to. And that would reveal a bit about uh, whether or not they have a good notion of someone who has influence and has power. Or maybe they would say, Andrew, along your lines, they would say, you know, I respect my, my mother, you know, because she's very religious. And she goes to church and she's always telling me to do the right thing and that I should follow rules because it's good for me. That, that, if you respect someone like that, it, it seems like you would be closer to the counterclaim than you would the claim here. Mm. Uh, and that would be revealed in, in who kids respect. Many kids are going to, of course, say, you know, I respect. The guy everyone else respects, the, 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 the girl everyone else respects, the mm. celebrities, the, you know, you know, whatever, the people with influence. That's who I respect. Yeah, because there's a difference, right? I mean, I know we're, we want to be careful, like, like having like, someone with power is, is not necessarily a leader. So like the point you were just right, like influencers, right? If we're thinking of, like different kinds of, like they have like power or they like, you know, persuasive power or just a power of attraction, um, get the most like likes and watch and, and views and so forth. But that doesn't make them a leader necessarily. Right. Um, so maybe this is sort of a, a, a lens or a, a 
an avenue to help students tearing, you know, pe peeling these things apart. Yes. It could flow into an, a conversation about leadership, what leadership is, which this is what happens with these, Andrew. You don't know where they're going to go, <laughs> which make them simultaneously sometimes terrifying, but mostly exciting, right? Because, you know, they, they, you, you just don't know. They're spontaneous. I have four sections a day. You, never, you know they're always going to go a different direction. <laughs> it's never boring. And Andrew, you know, you filled out a pre-podcast pre activity for us, right? To kind of get your mind thinking about this stuff. Part of our method, the way it's implemented is we're, we encourage everybody to have the conversation before you have the conversation with your students. I wanted to add one other thing just about Plato, because he's my, he's my guy, I guess. Uh, he's the philosopher that I've read the most, that I'm most entranced with. So let me give you what I know about him very quickly, and it may or may not help with an understanding of the quote. And it really deals with leadership. Plato's big insight in his book, The Republic, which is his famous book, is that the best leaders are reluctant. If you want to get a good leader and a good person, you have to have you have to find someone who has power but doesn't want it. The minute you get that, you're going to get a person that's going to do things for the right reasons. They're not going to do it selfishly. They're not going to do it to take advantage of people. They're going to do it out of a sense of otherness and, and duty most of the time. So that reluctance was his insight. The best leaders are reluctant. And that was the uh, idea of the, the founders, too. We think of like, you know, imagine George Washington running for president. Well, he didn't. And neither did John Adams and right. Jefferson or Madison. It's it's Andrew Jackson's really the first one who campaigned. And still, it wouldn't really be recognizable today. So you have one, really two generations uh, in, in this, in the United States anyway, of, of leaders who, um, and even at the, the lower, right, like the Senate and House, it was untoward. It was too much to say that like you wanted power. So, so that must have been that the platonic kind of uh, classical like ideal still echoing for at least like 30 years or so. I was going to say, yeah, it seems to be changing, right? Ambition. Oh, it got wrecked in the 1830s, so yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. It's That's turned great. into ambition. Also, I, I, reading up on, on your little prep sheet, Andrew, I agree with you. This is a great quote that I think could be brought up many, many times during the year so the kids can reevaluate leaders in light of what they've learned about the leader. And we, we've found, Steve and I have found with, with these conversations, you don't just use them once. You, you, you'd use them once, but then they come back around when you get an, a new information that you have to apply to old themes. That's when I think the deep learning it happens. So this is a great one that's, what do they call it? Transferability, right? This mm -hmm. will transfer to different um, 
parts of your of your class. Well, great. We like to to wrap these up, Andrew, with an essential question just to leave the kids and the adults, of course, thinking deeply about it. So here's an essential question we had come up with in advance. Does power reveal our true character? Hmm. One one thing you could leave with with them to, to think about. We use those as like exit slips after the conversation as a reflective activity. And, you know, you can revisit that as as much as you want. I, uh, I, I, I'm actually getting rocked by that one because I hadn't thought of essential questions as a yes, no. And of course, there are like things like in between. I guess maybe I've been taught like, like it had to be open ended, but yeah, you've, you've shattered my like, <laughs> you know, like, cause no, of course it doesn't have to be like open. Uh, not at all. I used to yeah. do the same thing. I find that the yes, no are the deepest because the kids then have to defend it. Hmm. That's when the depth occurs. Does power reveal our true character? Well, yes or no. And then it opens up. Yeah, because my instinct would have been like something like, what is the real meaning of power? But that's almost so open in this way. You've you've almost made it multiple choice. It's A or none of the above, right? Like uh, explain and then explain your answer. And I feel like, I like kids that. are more motivated to answer a question like that and then defend it sometimes. Well, you can take a vote. Sure. I, you know, anytime you can take a vote, you know that you're you at least have a setup for a little bit of drama. Instead of four corners, I do three corners. So the yes, no, and like the, and, you know, now like I can find it last year, I wasn't able to, right? But, have, you know, you get that clump on one end and like it's something like the other extreme, but also like they can stand in like the gradations of how much they agree with whatever it is. That's, that's, that's what I'm visualizing right now to be able to see. Because then also they can see where each other stands. And I've, what I've done is had them, whoever's at the extremes, I pair them up to discuss. So sort of fold the two like things like in on each other. So the two extremes are talking to each other. And the ones who are in the middle sort of turn and talk like, why are you, but why are you there? Why are you where you stand? I like that. And I found lot. that better than the four corners. Because also you get kids who try to go into the middle of the room. And that, that defeats kind of the purpose. But three corners um, again folding it in has been a, a kind of cool thing or you can also have them count off if you have 20 kids one two you know one through ten one through ten and then you get one of the extreme talking to someone in the middle and sort of like that way around um, that's great if you want it that way around too so and just getting thing. them up moving physically is oh yeah it's yeah. huge it's yep. huge and what am I saying somewhere you there's, teach no, middle there's no school <laughs> I mean yeah. what am I <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's hard to thing. do in Zoom world, but if you if you are in like a real classroom, try that. Face to face, because we're doing it. We're gonna yeah. do All it. right. Well, hey Andrew, thanks. This was this was great. We appreciate your 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 thoughts, you know, coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. What 22 years of experience teaching middle school, and you're still here with us. Still that's, here. That's amazing. <laughs> and it's been a pleasure working with you over the years and, and hope to continue doing that. Yeah, we will. And I hope awesome. you guys continue doing what you're doing. And I'll, Thank I'll get you, my Andrew. little scrawlings from our conversation here too to decipher and, and apply. Like there you go. Uh, it's all about it's all about, you know, conversations about things that matter. That's what what we hope we're doing here at Teach Different. So working for all me. All right. All right. Well, we'll take care, Andrew. 
Thanks. You too, gentlemen. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, everybody. We hope you are walking away feeling energized by some great ideas and are confident that conversations like this are possible with a little bit of planning and a three-step method. Make sure you go to teachdifferent.com to learn more and check out our library of conversation starters where we've compiled dozens of quotes, each with their own claim, counterclaim, and essential question. Good luck, and don't forget to teach different with conversations and make a difference every day.